Welcome to the What is Stoicism podcast. This episode is a reading of Book 9 of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. Whoever does injustice commits sin, for universal nature has made reasonable creatures for the sake of one another, to benefit one another as they deserve, without ever doing harm, and to transgress against the will of universal nature is to sin against the most venerable of the gods, because universal nature is a nature of what is, and what is, is related to all that exists. And further, he who lies, sins in regard to the same divine being, and she is named Truth, and is the first cause of all truths. Now he who lies voluntarily, commits sin in so far as by deceit he does injustice, and he who lies involuntarily, sins, insofar as he is discordant with universal nature and creates disorder by fighting against the natural order of the universe. For he fights against it, who is moved of himself to that which is contrary to truth. For he had received powers from nature, through the neglect of which he is not able now to distinguish falsehood from truth. Moreover, he who runs after pleasures as goods and away from pains as evils commits sin, for being such a man he must necessarily often blame universal nature for distributing to bad and good contrary to what they deserve, because the bad are often employed in pleasures and acquire what may produce these, while the good are involved in pain and in what may produce this. And further, he who fears pains will sometimes fear what is to come to pass in the universe, and this is at once sinful, while he who pursues pleasures will not abstain from doing injustice and this is plainly sinful. But those who wish to follow nature, being like-minded with her, must be indifferent towards the things to which she is indifferent, for she would not create both were she not indifferent towards both. Whosoever, therefore, is not himself indifferent to pain and pleasure, death and life, honour and dishonour, which universal nature employs indifferently, plainly commits sin. And by universal nature employing these indifferently, I mean that in the natural order they happen indifferently to what comes to pass, and follows upon an original impulse of providence, whereby from an original cause it had an impulse to this world order, having conceived certain principles of what should come to be, and appointed powers generative of substances and changes and successions of the like kind. It would be a man's happiest lot to depart from mankind without having had any taste of lying and hypocrisy and luxury and pride. A second best course is to breathe your last filled at least with distaste for these things. Or is it your choice to sit down with wickedness? And does not your experience even yet persuade you to flee from the plague? For corruption of understanding is much more a plague than such a distemper and change of this environing atmosphere. For the plague affects living creatures in their animal nature, but corruption of the mind affects human beings in their humanity. Do not despise death but be well content with it, since this too is one of those things which nature wills. For such as it is to be young and to grow old, and to increase and to reach maturity, and to have teeth and beard and grey hairs, and to beget, and to be pregnant and to bring forth, and all the other natural operations which the seasons of your life bring, such also is dissolution. This then is consistent with the character of a reflecting man, to be neither careless nor impatient nor contemptuous with respect to death, but to wait for it as one of the operations of nature. 
And, as you now wait for the unborn child to come forth from your wife's womb, so expect the hour in which your soul will drop from this shell. And if you would have an everyday rule to touch your heart, it will make you most contented with death to dwell upon the objects from which you are about to be parted, and the kind of characters with whom your soul will no longer be contaminated. For it is not right to be offended with men, but it is your duty to care for them and to bear with them gently, and yet to remember that your departure will not be from men who have the same principles as yourself. For this is the only thing, if there be any, which could draw us the contrary way and attach us to life, to be permitted to live with those who have the same principles as ourselves. But as it is, you see how great is the burden in the discord of life lived with them, so that you might say, Come swiftly, death, for fear I too forget myself. Whoever does wrong, wrongs himself. Whoever does injustice, does it to himself, making himself evil. Often he who omits an act does injustice, not only he who commits an act. Sufficient are the present judgment that grasps its object, the present social act, the present disposition well satisfied with all that comes to pass from a cause outside the self. Wipe out imagination, check impulse, quench desire, keep the governing self in its own control. Irrational animals share one soul, and rational creatures partake of one intelligent soul, just as the earth of all earthly things is single, and the light by which we see is single, and the air we breathe is single, if we are creatures endowed with vision and life. All that partake in something common to them hasten towards what is of the same kind. The earthy all tends to earth, the watery all flows together, and the nature of air is similar so that they even need things to hold them apart by compulsion. Fire rises because of the elemental fire, but is so ready to combine in combustion with all fire, here below that every material that is a little too dry is easily ignited, because what hinders ignition is mixed in it in two small proportions. Therefore also, all that partakes of a common mind similarly, or even more swiftly, hastens to what is akin, for in proportion as it is superior to the rest, so is it more ready to mix and be blended with its own kind. At any rate, from the very beginning, among irrational creatures there existed swarms, flocks, the feeding of young and something like love, because there were, after all, souls involved, and at this higher level there was a tendency to unity, of an intensity not to be found in plants or stones or logs. In rational creatures, this same tendency manifests as communities, friendships, households, assemblies and treaties and truces at times of war. And among still higher beings there exists a kind of unity consisting of discrete things, such as one finds among the heavenly bodies. Thus the higher up the scale one goes, the greater the possibility there is of an interactive connection being forged even among discrete things. Notice then what occurs now. Only intelligent creatures have now forgotten that zeal and inclination to each other, and here only you do not see concurrence. Yet even so they are overtaken in their flight, for nature is too strong for them. Watch and you will observe what I mean. Certainly one would more quickly discover something earthy, not attaching itself to the earthy, than man entirely cut off from man. Man, God and the universe alike bear fruit, each in the appropriate season. 
But if custom has come to apply the word strictly of the vine and similar fruits, no matter. Reason too has its fruit, for the whole and for itself, and from reason other results similar to itself come to pass. If you can, change him by teaching, but if you cannot, remember that kindness was given you for this. The gods too are kind to such men and even cooperate with them to some objects, to health, to wealth, to reputation, so good are they to men. And you may be so too, or say, who is there to prevent you? Labour, not like one who is unfortunate, nor wishing to be pitied or admired. Rather, have only one wish, to bestir yourself or to keep quiet as the reason of the city requires. Today I escaped all circumstance, or rather I cast out all circumstance, for it was not outside me, but within, in my judgments. All things are the same, familiar in experience, transient in time, sordid in their material. Everything now is just as it was in the time of those we've buried. Things stand outside our doors, themselves by themselves, neither knowing nor reporting anything about themselves. What then does report about them? The governing self. Not in feeling but in action is the good and ill of the reasonable social creature, even as his excellence and his feelings are not in feeling but in action. To the stone that is thrown up, it is no ill to be carried down, nor good to be carried upwards. Penetrate within, into their governing selves, and you will see what critics you fear, and what poor critics they are of themselves. All things are in change, and you yourself in continuous alteration and in a sense destruction, so too is the universe as a whole. Another's wrong act you must leave where it is. The ceasing of action, impulse, judgment, is a pause and a kind of death, not any evil. Now pass to the ages of your life, boyhood for instance, youth, manhood, old age. For each change of these was a death. Was it anything to be afraid of? Pass now to your manner of life under your grandfather, then under your mother, then under your adoptive father, and when you discover many another destruction, change and ending, ask yourself, was it anything to be afraid of? So then even the ceasing, pause and change of your whole life is not. Make haste to your own governing self, to that of the whole, and that of this man. To your own, to make it a righteous mind. To that of the whole, to remind yourself what it is of which you are a part. To this man's, that you may observe whether it is ignorance or design, and may reflect at the same time that his self is of one kind with your own. As you are yourself a complement of a social system, so let every act of yours be complementary of a social living principle. Every act of yours, therefore, which is not referred directly or remotely to the social end, sunders your life, does not allow it to be a unity, and is a partisan act, like a man in a republic who for his own part sunders himself from the harmony of his fellows. Children's tantrums and games, and spirits sustaining corpses, make the impact of the vision of Hades more vivid. Consider the cause of any object and what kind of a thing it is. Take it in isolation from the object's matter, 
and then determine the maximum amount of time that an object with these specific qualities is, given its nature, able to subsist. You endure a myriad troubles because you are not content with your governing self doing the kind of things it was formed to do. Enough is enough. When another blames you or hates you, or people express such sentiments, go to their inward selves, pass in and see what kind of people they are, you will see that you ought not to torment yourself in order that they may hold some opinion about you. You must, however, be well disposed to them, for in the natural order they are friends, and moreover the gods help them in a variety of ways, by dreams, by prophecy, to get, however, the objects about which they are concerned. The rotations of the universe are the same, up and down from age to age. Now either the mind of the whole has an impulse to each individual, and if that is so, welcome what it initiates, or else it had an impulse once, for all and what follows is consequential upon that. And why are you anxious? And whether the whole be God, all is well, or whether it be chance, somehow molecules or atoms, be not yourself then ruled by chance. In a moment earth will cover us all, then earth too will change and what ensues will change to eternity, and that again to eternity. A man who thinks of the continuous waves of change and alteration and the swift passage of all mortal things will hold them in disdain. The matter of the whole is a torrent. It carries all in its stream. What then, man, is your part? Act as nature this moment requires. If you have the opportunity, go ahead straight away, without letting your attention be distracted by wondering whether anyone will know what you're doing. Don't hope for Plato's utopia, but be content to make a very small step forward and reflect that the result even of this is no trifle. How cheap are these mere men with their policies and their philosophic practice as they suppose? They are full of drivel. For who will change men's convictions? And without a change of conviction, what else is there save a bondage of men who groan and pretend to obey? Go on then. Now's the time to tell me about Alexander, Philip and Demetrius of Phalerim. If they realised what nature wanted of them, and trained themselves accordingly, I'll follow their lead. But if they were just playing grandiose roles, no one has condemned me to imitate them. The work of philosophy requires simplicity and modesty. Don't mislead me into pompous affectation. Look from above, at the spectacle of myriad herds, myriad rites, and manifold journeying in storm and calm, Diversities of creatures who are being born, coming together, passing away. Ponder too the life led by others long ago, the life that will be led after you, the life being led in uncivilised races. How many do not even know your name? How many will very soon forget it? And how many who praise you perhaps now will very soon blame you? And that neither memorial nor fame nor anything else at all is worth a thought? Calm in respect of what comes to pass from a cause outside you, justice, in acts done in accord with a cause from yourself, that is to say, impulse and act terminating simply in neighbourly conduct, because for you this is according to nature. You have the power to strip off many superfluities which trouble you and are wholly in your own judgement, and you will make a large room at once for yourself by embracing in your thought the whole universe grasping ever-continuing time and pondering the rapid change in the parts of each object, how brief the interval from birth to dissolution, 
and the time before birth a yawning gulf, even as the period after dissolution equally boundless. All that your eyes behold will very quickly pass away, and those who saw it passing will themselves also pass away very quickly, and he who dies in extreme age will be made equal in years with the infant who meets an untimely end. What governing selves are theirs? What mean ends have they pursued? For what mean reasons do they give love and esteem? Accustom yourself to look at their souls in nakedness. When they fancy that their blame hurts or their praise profits, how great their vanity. Loss is nothing else but change. In this, universal nature rejoices, and by her all things come to pass well. From eternity they came to pass in like fashion, and will be to everlasting in other similar shapes. Why then do you say, all things ever came to pass badly, and that all will ever be bad? So no power, it seems, was ever found in so many gods to remedy this, but the world is condemned to be straightened in uninterrupted evils. The rottenness of the matter which underlies everything, water, dust, bones, stench, again, marble, an incrustation of earth, gold and silver sediments, your dress, the hair of animals, the purple dye, blood, and so all the rest. What is of the nature of breath too is similar and changing from this to that. Enough of this wretched way of life, of complaining and mimicry. Why are you troubled? What novelty is there in this? What takes you out of yourself? The formal side of things? Look it in the face. The material side then? Face that. Besides these there is nothing, except even now at this late hour to become simpler and better in your relation to the gods. To acquaint yourself with these things for a hundred years or for three is the same. If he did wrong, the harm is with him, but perhaps he did not. Either all comes to pass from one fountain of mind, as in a single organic body, and the part must not find fault with what is for the good of the whole, or else there are atoms, nothing but a mechanical mixture and dispersal. Why then be troubled? Say to your governing self, Are you dead, gone to corruption, turned into a beast? Are you acting a part, running with the herd, feeding with it? The gods are either powerless or powerful. If then they are powerless, why do you pray? But if they are powerful, why not rather pray them for the gift to fear none of these things, to desire none of them, to sorrow for none of them, rather than that any one of them should be present or absent? For surely if they can cooperate with man, they can cooperate to these ends. But perhaps you will say, the gods put these things in my power. Were it not better then to use what is in your power with a free spirit, rather than to be concerned for what is not in your power with a servile and abject spirit? Besides, who told you that the gods do not cooperate even in respect to what is in our power? Begin at least to pray about these things and you will see. That man prays, how may I know that woman? Do you pray, how may I not desire to know her? Another prays, how may I get rid of him? Do you pray, how may I not want to be rid of him? Another, how may I not lose my little child? Do you pray, how may I not be afraid to lose him? Turn your prayers round in this way generally and see what is the result. Epicurus says, 
During my illness, I didn't make my physical suffering a topic of conversation or talk or anything like that to visitors. Instead, I continued to talk as a natural scientist, expounding my principal doctrines and focusing especially on this very point, how the mind, despite the fact that it shares in such physical disturbances, remains unperturbed and preserves its specific good. Nor, he goes on, did I let my doctors get all big-headed as if they were doing something important. I just got on with my life as well and nicely as usual. You should do the same as him when you're ill, if you happen to be ill, and in all other circumstances. All the schools agree that one shouldn't abandon philosophy under any circumstances whatsoever, and shouldn't lower the level of one's conversation to that of people who have no background in philosophy or natural science. Focus exclusively on what you're doing at any moment, and the instrument with which you're doing it. Whenever you're offended by a man's shamelessness, ask yourself immediately, is it possible then for the shamelessness not to be in the world? If it is not, do not then ask for the impossible, for he too is one of the shameless who must exist in the world. And have the same ready also for the rogue, the traitor, and every kind of wrongdoer, for directly you remind yourself that the class of such persons cannot but be, you will be gentler to them as individuals, Another useful thing is to call to mind immediately what virtue nature gave man to meet this wrong, for she gave as an antidote against the unfeeling mildness, against another some other faculty, and generally speaking it is in your power to convert the man who has gone astray, for every man who does wrong is going wrong from the goal set before him and has gone astray. And what harm have you suffered? For you will find that none of those with whom you are angry has done the kind of thing by which your understanding was likely to become worse and it is there that your ills and harms have their entire existence. How is it an evil or strange event that the uninstructed does what uninstructed men do? See whether you should not rather find fault with yourself for not expecting that he would do this wrong. For you had aptitudes from reason to enable you to argue that in all probability this man will do this wrong, and yet you forgot and are surprised that he did wrong. But most important of all, turn inward to your own self. Whenever you blame the traitor or the ungrateful, for the fault is plainly yours, whether you trusted a man with such a disposition to keep faith, or whether, when you bestowed a favour you did not give it unreservedly, or so that you received the whole fruit from your act itself then and there. For when you have done good, what more, O oh man, do you wish? Is it not enough that what you did was in agreement with your nature, and do you seek a recompense for this? As if the eye asked a return for seeing, or the feet for walking, for just as these were made for this which they affect according to their proper constitution, and so get what is theirs, even thus man is made by nature to be benevolent, and whenever he contributes to the common stock by benevolence or otherwise, he has done what he was constituted for, and gets what is his own. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the What is Stoicism podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please consider taking a second to leave a rating and a review. It's a good way to let me know you're getting value from the content, and it helps more people discover the show. I appreciate your support. Thanks so much. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, I recommend checking out the Stoic Handbook podcast by John Brooks. It's one I've been a fan of myself for a while. It has great reviews. John publishes regular episodes that are always filled with practical wisdom and it's available on all the usual podcast platforms. You can also find it on the web at stoichandbook.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening.